Many of us as physicians have to deal with rheumatologic disorders. They can be confusing, they can be frustrating to treat, but certainly there are treatments out there and there are ways we can approach them. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest is Dr. Carol Langford. Dr. Langford is the chair on the Committee of Education for the American College of Rheumatology. And Dr. Langford, first of all, thanks for taking time to be on the show. Now, thank you for having me here. Um, I had a couple questions to start out. I mean, when we think of rheumatologic disorders, I know as a family doctor, uh, you think of rheumatoid arthritis, but you think of so many other things. And I just remember going through medical school, going through my career, there's a lot of confusion and concern and worry about how our immune system works, new developments. So let's take it from your perspective. What should we know and what should we be most concerned about? As you point out, it's important to recognize that rheumatic diseases affect a wide range of different people. And it's been estimated that even back as far as 2015, you know, over an estimated 54.4 million United States adults had a rheumatic disease, a number which is only going to increase as our population gets older. This ranges not only from the most common form of arthritis that any of us will have as people, osteoarthritis, to diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, which again is becoming a very treatable illness when recognized early, to less common diseases such as lupus and vasculitis, which again can have life-threatening complications and where early diagnosis and direction of therapy becomes critical as far as having organ and life-saving ramifications. Now, twice in a short period of time, you talked about the importance of early diagnosis. So what should we be thinking of when it comes to early diagnosis? What should we as physicians be when we see our patients? What cues should we look for? Yeah, I think, again, just the recognition that people who come to their physician with pain in the joints can occur for a variety of different reasons. And as is done in medicine, as far as clues that we get from careful history and physical examination, plays an important role as far as trying to determine, is this something that is potentially more worrisome? So what are the pattern of joints that are affected? How long has this been going on? Are there other symptoms or signs that the patient is experiencing in trying to get them directed in the right location as far as what sort of evaluation and testing is necessary and potentially referral to a rheumatologic specialist? Let's talk a little about testing. What specific tests do you get most bang for your buck? I know we're all cost conscious. We're trying to do the best for our patients. What would be the tests if someone came in, let's say, for instance, with joint pain, joint stiffness that you would go after? Well, in many ways, a good history and physical examination is going to be most important. After that, in certain ways, as far as it it comes down to certain basics in terms of, you know, chemistries, markers of inflammation, your analysis is one of the most under-recognized tests in, in detecting early renal disease. And potentially for certain forms of arthritis, x-rays can be helpful, although, again, if joint damage has occurred, that's what we're hoping to avoid by detecting early. You know, I think you bring up a really important point. Some of the things we can do in the office, you don't necessarily have to send out for expensive tests. You can do a lot by something like a UA. Yeah, exactly. When you have someone come in and you talk about jumping on it early, what are some of the key questions we should be asking? I mean, beyond just joint pain, are there certain symptoms, certain things that might be affecting them in other ways? It can be very general as far as constitutional features, fevers, weight loss, you know, other features as far as that could be indicative of other sites of organ involvement as far as 
cough, chest pain, abdominal pain, difficulty as far as headaches, certainly visual changes, or again, difficulty using the extremities as far as because of weakness, rashes also. Yeah, rashes are one of the things that I, you don't think of first, but for something, let's say lupus or whatever, it could be a telltale sign. Yes, absolutely. I mean, for many rheumatic diseases, lupus, vasculitis, myositis, psoriatic arthritis, examination of the skin is a critical part of the assessment. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest today is Dr. Carol Langford. Dr. Langford is chair of the Committee of Education for the American College of Rheumatology. Tell me a little bit about how your organization reaches out to physicians and how you try to get the word out. The American College of Rheumatology is a professional organization really dedicated to the care of patients with rheumatic disease and advancing the specialty and practice of rheumatology. And really, we reach out to you know, a range of over 9,500 physicians, health professionals, and scientists. Aside as far as from the practice of rheumatologists themselves, you know, our colleagues in primary care, family practice, internal medicine, as well as other medical subspecialties have very important links with rheumatologists in the care of these patients. And we recognize that many individuals who have rheumatic disease don't present first to rheumatologists but to other colleagues for symptoms that they're having. So providing education that is also for their benefit is also a very important part of what our organization's mission is. There are a number of opportunities we have as far as for education that are very applicable to primary care practitioners. In the very near future, we are actually coming up to our annual meeting that will be held in San Diego that has over 450 sessions that are both in clinical and basic science, and many of these are applicable to general health professionals and primary care practitioners. For those who really favor smaller meetings, we also have a number of other offerings, including winter rheumatology and the -the state-of-the-art courses that are held in the springtime. And the Association of Rheumatology Health Professionals has a number of educational opportunities that also are very applicable to primary care practitioners. I always like trying to find out why some of our guests picked the specialties they did. Why did you choose this area of study and and to work with your career? In many ways, as far as it was really the fact that rheumatology embraced the diversity of medicine, the challenges that we face as far as thinking about this diagnostically, therapeutically, and how to benefit patients, and also the opportunity to really have longstanding relationships with patients. And I've been in practice for uh, many years now, and, and for some of the individuals, I've known them over 20 years. And being able to see them through their challenges and see the, the growth of their lives and their families has been extremely meaningful. What do you think we miss when it comes to rheumatic disorders? What, what do you see, maybe people come to your office and, and just they see the primary care provider, primary care provider throws their arms up in the air and says, I don't know what's going on. What, what are the things we're missing? Well, you know, I don't know if it's as much missing as far as is that these are can be challenging disorders to be able to recognize at times. There can be a diversity of different clinical presentations that can occur that may manifest in different ways in different individuals. For certain of the rarer diseases, uh, again, we often appropriately look for more common entities and rule out those 
along the way. And again, I think some of the red flags that we can look at as far as as if we are encountering a situation where things aren't behaving quite like you would expect as far as that, again, you apply a treatment and the patient seems to be getting worse. So again, a a scenario that, that I might face as far as in my practice would be in the setting of vasculitis as far as where someone may be having a cough that's not going away with general treatments as far as treating for pneumonia or for allergies or for sinus symptoms that are getting worse. Those are settings where, again, we may think about clues that may lead us in another direction. You mentioned vasculitis. Uh, Dr. Langford is the Harold C. Schott Chair in Rheumatic and Immunologic Diseases, Director of the Center for Vasculitis Care and Research at the Cleveland Clinic. Tell me a little bit about vasculitis, how it presents, and, and again, the research you're working on. Vasculitis, again, is a diverse family of diseases characterized by inflammation of blood vessels. So there really is not one individual uh, illness, variety of different illnesses that can occur. Vasculitis can occur secondary to another underlying disease or triggers, such as a medication or, an, or another rheumatic disease, as we see in the practice of rheumatology. And also it can occur as a variety of range of primary vasculitic diseases where there is yet an unknown cause that's occurring. Vasculitis can really affect blood vessels of all sizes, ranging from the capillaries all the way out through the aorta and the venules. And these are really characterized as far as by the clinical features that they present with the size of the blood vessels that's being affected and when biopsies or arteriograms are possible, the information that we learn from those that can help to provide support for the diagnosis. Now, you're doing research in that area. Anything exciting and new you wanted to share? This has been an exciting time in vasculitis as far as that we are continuing to learn more about these diseases, continuing to identify a number of treatments that have been beneficial from our our small vessel vasculitides such as granulomatosis with polyangiitis or ANCA-associated vasculitis and recently, as far as in the large vessel vasculitis family, such as giant cell arteritis. Carol Langford is our guest. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. We only have a few minutes left. But I wanted to ask you, where are the big holes? In other words, where are we far from providing good treatments in rheumatic disorders? Is there something where you're still frustrated and, and wish we could do a better job? I mean, I think, again, there are avenues for advancements in all fields of rheumatology, you know, the uh, work that the American College of Rheumatology has been doing and its partners in research in really trying to identify areas as far as in rheumatoid arthritis, in lupus, in the diverse range of rheumatic diseases, I think we recognize that there are areas that certainly need growth. The rare illness of scleroderma continues to be a challenge for a number of patients, as does the myositis disorders. So, again, through our Simple Task campaign uh, through the American College of Rheumatology, it's helping us to recognize how much these really affect everyday life of Americans and really have a profound impact on morbidity and quality of life for these patients. One of my residents actually yesterday was asking me about a patient with morphia. And what about that? Now, that's a form of scleroderma on the skin that doesn't necessarily progress to other areas? Yes, I mean, the the family of scleroderma illnesses can have a variety of different features. Morphia is one of them. Uh, Again, it can still have uh, profound effects for patients. 
And when you talk about something like that, it's a good example, actually, I guess, right? Because depending on the immune system or the way the person reacts, they can have a full range of symptoms or just a few. Exactly. And do we know why that happens? Um, that's probably my final question as we're running out of time. Why, not just scleroderma, but what it is that triggers a more dramatic response in some individuals and yet in others we don't? No, I mean, I think for, for some rheumatic diseases, there are potential identified risk factors. For, for most, though, there are not. This continues to be a very heavy area of investigation from basics and translational scientists in trying to understand parameters that will allow us to provide more personalized and individualized medical approaches, which we are certainly seeing within rheumatology. Dr. Carol Langford, the chair on the Committee of Education for the American College of Rheumatology, a professor at Cleveland Clinic, has been our guest. Carol, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Primary Care today. It was really a pleasure having you. No, thank you so much for uh, having me here today and for all of our colleagues as far as that are helping patients with rheumatic disease. And if you missed any of this presentation, you can download the podcast, ReachMD.com. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, host of Primary Care Today, and I'll talk to you next time.